It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipit.tv. You're listening to BGN Radio. Here is the kickoff, and it is coming down to Smallwood. Outside the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. Smallwood down the left sideline. He is going to go! Wendell Smallwood! His second NFL touchdown, his first on a kickoff return. Well, that and is- that's what they needed. Oh, what's going on, Bleeding Green Nation? It is another episode of BGN Radio Daily. I am John Bartridge here with you on a lovely Wednesday evening as this is being recorded. All the practice mates are in and out of Novacare. And boy, was there new- some news today. <laughs> Some exciting news. Chance Warmack is actually going to get a chance to play left guard. Imagine that. After Doug Peterson once again comes out and says something, uh, they uh, completely change their minds five or six hours later. I can't believe. That. See, and this is where I, I still come back to, like, there's a small disconnect between what is actually happening and who's making the decisions like I don't think Doug Peterson would just come out and straight up lie to you coaches will always lie about something GMs will always lie about something right but at the same time not that blatant you know after Frank Reich and a a bunch of other coaches said well we're not just going to pull a kid after five or six times or whatever I don't know if they've actually looked at film or not. I, I, I don't remember that. And you kind of harken back to those Andy Reid days about Michael Vick and Kevin Cobb, right? Like, this kind of reminded me uh, of that. You know, like, oh, well, after we looked at the tape, uh, yeah, he's got to start. So either they looked at this thing on Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was, and they said, wow, that is unfixable. I can't fix that in a week. I don't know if Jeff Stoutland went to him and be like, guys, we need Chance Warmack. I don't know if this is, hey, Chance Warmack needs to be in there. You need to make this decision. But for whatever reason, they're doing it. And the most logical one, when you go back to it, is Isaac Salomalu did not play great. Did not play great. I feel weird, you know, even though, listen, coming out of the draft, 
I didn't think Isaac Salamalu was going to be this this powerhouse stud. I wasn't sure of what was going to happen. He didn't get much playing time last year. He did start when it was needed. I thought he did okay and sometimes good in those starts. I thought he had a really strong preseason uh, in uh, during practices and things like that. And you know, BLG even mentioned just how much of a force he looked like in a running game, et cetera, et cetera. Then you got into preseason, and it wasn't quite there. Like, there was still the good, and there was some bad. And then, you know, two weeks into the season, now we're acting like Isaac Salamalu is the worst lineman that's ever played here. And there's a lot of theories as if as if to why that is happening. And it's not like you saw anything from Chance Warmack throughout the same process to make you feel confident and going, yeah, we should just make this switch anyway. You know, it's not like Chance Warmack was completely dominant in any performance from practice to preseason to whatever to make you go, okay, well, this is going to be fine because it's it's Chance Warmack. And I don't know how you particularly feel about this either. I don't know if it's going to get better or if it's going to get worse. Is this a Jeff Stoutland, you know, like, hey, guys, uh, we have to make the switch now. It's just, it's just impossible to. And throughout reading the beats that are down there, the same ones, uh, Jimmy Kemsky had had pointed out, and I also think, uh, no, who was it? Was it Les? I think it was Les that came in and basically said, it sounds like the offensive linemen are pissed. And look, when you have Jason Kelsey, who is right next to Isaac Salabalu, and is doing the same bad things and whiffing completely on a couple of those, uh, you know, in particular where uh, if Wentz had that extra second when they're, they're pass rushing three guys on a on a play, uh, you can't allow those type of sacks to happen. And both of them were kind of responsible for this, right? So this this whole thing just kind of stinks. Something stinks here. You know, and I'm, I'm not looking for a, a drama. I'm not looking for the, the story. This could be just as straightforward as like, uh, just like I was saying, Isaac Salamalu is bad at his job and they're not going to risk the investment of Carson Wentz getting hit uh, that many times, which also harkens back to all the crap that we've been talking about the running game for so long. Well, you know, I, I guess Chance Warmack's strength is to do that. And look, if you went back and looked at the all 22 or watched this game, like there's you can't really argue, yeah man, it was it was really that bad. It was really a was it a Winston Justice type of performance? You know, was it like that? I I don't know. I don't know. I think people uh tend to think that it might be close to that. Uh and I think that, you know, for the people that are screaming you should have run the football, this this is probably, I guess, an upgrade in, in that, and it's probably a small downgrade in pass protection, uh, it, just in technique and things alone. Now, it's not like Chance hasn't done this before, uh, but at the same time, for, for anybody to think that he's going to step in there and be a massive improvement as an expectation, he could still do that, but expecting to go into this game uh, against the Giants, who... You know, uh, by, by and large, still have a pretty good pass rush, despite all the little stupid videos that you see of JPP getting, you know, thwarted by uh, Lyle Collins and things like that. That's still a really good uh, defensive line, uh, especially one that can stop the run in the middle. And we'll break that down tomorrow when Vince and I kind of go over uh, uh, the game breakdown. 
But I don't see Chance Warmack improving things immediately. It might just be good enough. It might be just a little better where there's literally not a guy swimming through his arms uh, where it gives Carson Wentz an extra half a second as uh, as this is happening here. But I, I, I just I want to go back to the disconnect thing because I can't help but feel that there are just too many people trying to make decisions on offense and there's just one guy making decisions on defense. Doesn't that feel like it to you? You know, because the Josh Huff thing, oh, you know, we're uh, the, 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 the saying one thing and then he's cut the next day. We're going to coddle him and then he's gone. There's no way we would just, you know, ship this guy off uh, after one bad game and give him a chance to recover. And then again, 36 hours later, whatever it has been since now that he's just disappeared now. And, and at the same time. I can't look at Isaac Salamalu in the same way, and I'm not definitely trying not to compare these things here, but like, you know, Nelson Aguilar's performance definitely so far through two weeks has shown, and granted, he only had one catch, but it was a really sweet catch last week into this season, a little poured out in it there. I'm surprised that Isaac Salamalu's hasn't, because he did have a really strong preseason performance in practices, and he looked like the guy that was going to be there. Now, there are some theories on this, too, where like, okay, is it uh, is he a better center? I still believe that he is, but it doesn't mean he couldn't play guard. You know, he can kind of play guard, and he did it in college. He play, I, th- that's what's weird. Like, how do you show up uh, completely cold last year playing tackle positions and being okay at it? You know, like or or just being or f- filling in where you need to and being okay at it. And I think a lot of this through the muddy waters here is. You know, like, okay, all right, uh, we accepted Jason Kelsey for whatever reason this past offseason, despite the rumors that were kind of going uh, going and coming around and, and the possible him being traded on the block. And look, anybody that's got two eyes, since Doug Peterson has taken this thing over, uh, can obviously see that it's not that beneficial for Jason Kelsey to be in the middle there. Either And I think he's gotten a, a little bit too much criticism this week. I mean, yes, the one big whiff is, is unacceptable. But for the most part, uh, especially when Darren Sproles was in there on, uh, on, on a lot of the pulling plays to the outside, which, hey, by the way, they did that for a reason because there's no way they can run up the middle. And that's probably partly because of Isaac Salamalu and the things that they saw already. What people ignored was kind of the right side with between him and Brandon Brooks were pretty sharp all game long. I thought Jason Kelsey also got to the second level uh, uh, pretty nicely in a couple of those runs uh, to take out some linebackers. I think there's been some unfair criticism of that, but just overall, like what is going on with Wisniewski? That's the same thing that we've been asking ourselves here for the next the last couple of days. You know, uh, people will point to to Barber, but but and and, and that's still kind of up and down. And it's weird that they would cut or excuse me, not cut, but trade somebody for a seventh-round pick to Denver and still looking pretty sharp and good for a guy that can kind of, you know, fill in. But if you look at the situation and why they did that and how he said something along the lines of, well, we have eight starting offensive linemen, which is which is true. It's just the one one of them, I think, as a supreme backup is Stefan Wisniewski. That's the guy that they signed this past season for a, a significant amount of money for a guy that's going to be a backup. They signed him to fringe starter money, which is basically what he is. But he's not even the the first guy up when his name is called 
<laughs> Jason Kelsey and, uh, uh, excuse me, not Jason Kelsey, when uh, Isaac Salamalu is, is struggling. What are you paying him for? You know, and I wonder if it's because of the fact that uh, there is a lot of you guys remember this last year, too. Like he was he literally called out his coach and his teammates. I have no idea why I'm not getting snaps. Uh, I guess they don't want, you know, whatever it is, a, a guy that's played the position or not first guy up here. And maybe maybe that rubbed rubbed the wrong way with pretty much everybody in that locker room. And at the same time, I can say that, but they also paid the man. You know, so there's this weird disconnect that's going there. Maybe Kelsey doesn't feel comfortable with him there, or maybe this is just like, okay, you got rid of Barber. I got to stick my guy in Warmack there. I feel more comfortable with him. And maybe there's just kind of this weird eternal struggle, which it then goes back to who's running the offense? Who has the say of who's going to start and who is not? And you, can, and you could easily say that that's a Doug move, and it, and it very, very well could be. And he's just lying to us. But it's just fishy to me, right? <laughs> like, it's not, it's not uh, they never make it cut and dry. And thus, you know, it gets us all thinking about these things. So I, I would love to know whose call this really, really was. If it was Doug's, then good. And he's not being stubborn about his statements, you know, after looking at film or listening to his coaches or his GM or, uh, you know, vice president of, of player personnel. Whoever is being like, hey, man, you know, we, we really need to make this switch. And let me tell you why. Now, I'm curious to hear your thoughts at that, too, at BGN underscore radio at John Barchard, because I don't know. I, I just don't see <laughs> I don't see the value in sticking Chance Warmack out there, a guy that's basically a rebuild project here after the guy you drafted again in the third round in the third round to be your eventual starter. And what I all assumed and you all assumed was to take over for Jason Kelsey, because that was the big news coming in to this year. And maybe he literally is just a center, but I, I can't believe you can be that bad at guard and be a center like that. You know, I just I refuse to believe that because my theory always is all centers can play guard. Not all guards can play tackle. And that's pretty much how that goes. <laughs> you know, you know, it, it, and it rotates the other way, too. So tackles can play guard, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's just astounding to me. That in a pinch, you know, or as as a guy that you have groomed isn't ready to go in his in in week two, and you didn't really hear his name too much in week one, so that also begs the question for me, and and it's so hard because we always try to figure out what exactly and how exactly the positional coaches or doing, does Jeff Stoutland just suck at his job in developing a third-round pick, or is this a GM miss, or whatever? It's just kind of like, wow, you are really pulling the trigger on a guy that quickly. <laughs> and again, it's because the more important guy is the guy that's standing behind there in Carson Wentz. And I get that, and, I, and, and that's more important, but it's also just... You know, you go, you hearken back to that draft and you start thinking about it too, other than Carson Wentz, which is the only thing that matters. And we said, you really can't be upset with the rest of the draft class if Carson Wentz pans out. That's still true. But 
Isaac Say Omalu being a part of that class, bang. Oof, that would be that would be bad. That would be bad. That was your next pick after that. Smallwood's also part of that class, and yes, we are still debating back and forth on chicken or the egg type of stuff when it comes to running back versus O line versus whatever. <laughs> but that draft class is also not looking great, gang. And it just um man, it just it makes you kind of sit and wander here too. So we we will break all of that stuff down and I give you our thoughts on that tomorrow when we do the big show or the preview show. Vince Quinn has the helm, uh, and I'll be right next to him, too. We'll get the NFL picks and a, and a lot of that different stuff uh, that's through there, too. But, I, you know, I just don't feel like this is going to change the running game. And I also believe, just a small snippet on that, because uh, I believe E-Rock was, uh, was pointing out the, the correlation numbers of, you know, the Eagles' victories uh, through 18 games of Doug Peterson's career. Many people pointed it out to him. I get what he was doing. The graphic was really cool. I just happen to disagree with him because correlation does not make cause. And basically, all uh, every time the Eagles ran the ball 25 or more times, uh, they I think they were either undefeated or one loss or just the majority of wins came from that. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what wins football games. And it's clearly not what lost them and war uh, made the Chiefs win the football game because the Chiefs only ran that ball 15 times, 15 and they passed the rest. So uh, whether or not, and the, and but it's still, I still agree that the, and everybody throughout this, and I think Brandon started the trend on Monday. I'm not really sure why people got so upset about it, but you know there is correlation between the offensive line and Isaac Sayomalu struggling, and maybe you can get some of these guys to run through better holes if that's there. I agree with that. Uh, it it also means that we are not saying that running the football is ineffective as a whole philosophy. It's not. We are begging, begging. We have begged the Eagles for the last two years to find a running back. And we just don't believe this stable of ponies is capable of doing the things that we all ask it to do. And I know that people aren't saying like, okay, well... You know, you got to run. Uh, you got to run it. Uh, you know, f- just a little more, a little more balance to protect Carson. That all that stuff needs to happen. But there's also no point in running into a brick wall. Maybe Chance Warmack is is able to change their minds here. And this is the other thing that I don't think I was able to say on the post game show uh, on Sunday. And I think I just want to leave this here too. When we overreact to this week, like we have been. Uh, for the last you know three days, we are still talking about the running game. There's nothing wrong. I'm not saying it's like an old topic, it's old hat or whatever. I think it's still important to discuss and, and go back and forth with and agree and disagree and fight like brothers and sisters, and it's a lot of fun. That's what makes sports great. I think people tend to overreact to, okay, this was a loss. Let's find out why this was a loss. And when the easy thing to do is point a look at the pass attempts versus the running attempts, and you can't do this, that ultimately becomes the discussion point. And really, just sometimes, sometimes you're going to have to do that. There are going to be games where it's just what the matchup dictates throughout that entire process. So it's it's more a reason why LeGarrette Blunt never saw any action at there. It's not because he's dead, and it's not because he sucks. It's because it's a very ferocious front seven versus the Chiefs, and Darren Sproles gives you the best chance and best ability to run that football. And I don't think people understood uh, that the, the, the Pumphrey miss on all of this is is huge because if you thought that LeGarrette Blunt was supposed to be running back number one and getting 15 to 20 carries a game, 
you misread it. And I don't think any of us expected him uh, to be that type of back. We were all saying, you know, carries in the 110 to 130 range throughout the entire year, much like the New England Patriots have also like a four and five headed monster because you don't know who's going to start because they have Tom Brady. And I'm not saying Carson Wentz is Tom Brady, and he's certainly not Aaron Rodgers or the top five quarterbacks uh, at this point. But the strength of this offense is through his arm. You still have to protect that, and you still have to do that, and that's understandable. But you're not going to run LeGarrette Blunt up the middle for zero yards because it doesn't strike the fear in anybody to do that, to run up against the brick wall. Uh, you wanted Wendell Smallwood to get more carries, and honestly, and maybe that's what they were looking at too. We can't run the football because look at what's happening to, to Ike there, and it's, you know, we can go through, you know, 4.8 or 5.0 yards on first downs alone. That's fine, uh, uh, but throughout the game on second and third downs, like, you're not going to, you're not going to do it again. And even when you did, even if you had two yards and it's second and eight, do you really want to run the football again? Not really. And what's the difference between two yards and an incomplete pass? Not much. <laughs> at the end of the day, not a ton. The clock stops. So if you want to run more of a possession game against the Chiefs, I, I, I guess go ahead, be my guest. Uh, but that that doesn't necessarily mean that you know uh, it, it's effective or it's going to work or the outcome is is any better. It just means you're running the football for the purpose of running the football. And I think that's our main argument. So the reason why it was so important to nail the third running back is because we've always talked about this. It's a running back by committee. LeGarrette Blunt is part of that committee. Darren Sproles is a part of that committee. And the third person that's a part of that committee is... We don't know. We don't know. Supposed to be pump-free in our minds. We've talked about the Honda and Corey Clement. Uh, and, you know, there was a strong indication that he was going to get some carries this week, but I don't, you know, I don't know anymore. I, I still think that's the way to go because he's still the best hybrid between Blunt and between Darren Sproles. I, I, but again, it's the coach's decision. There's, it's hard to argue that, all right, Corey Clement should be there on third downs because that's not going to happen because he can't block that well uh, with pass rushers coming through. And you don't want to telegraph when you're going to run because he can only be in there on first or second down or whatever. Darren Sproles, you, you don't know what's going to happen. LeGarrette Blunt, you kind of know what's going to happen. So if Corey Clement can show his ability to maybe catch a few passes out of the backfield, uh, and and get the the defense thinking. Then yeah, sure. I'm sure the coaches and everybody else will have a little more uh, uh, confidence in that. And listen, if Chance Warmack is blowing dudes up and he looks like Alabama Chance Warmack, then great. Then all this stuff is a, is a moot point, and we can move on our, with our lives and uh, understand deeply, you know, what exactly uh, <laughs> this offense is all about. And maybe it has a, a little bit of a running game there. Uh, but again, I, I'm not sure you want to do that against the Giants because especially in the middle, you're probably going to still need some outside runs because they're good at stuffing the middle. They really are. Uh, and and that doesn't mean LeGarrette Blunt. That means probably more Darren Sproles, and that probably means Smallwood or Clement, and, and no matter which way they're going to kind of 
you know, twist and turn through there. So we'll break that down more uh, tomorrow. I did want to get to uh, to one thing before I uh, I let you guys go because we'll keep it uh, relatively short today, as it is uh, very hot in Philadelphia. And granted, I just uh, I just need to, I just need a lot of iced tea time today, gang. My uh, my dogs are tired. Uh, I I thought that um, Brandon uh, BLG Brandon Lee Gowden, the editor in chief of BleedingGreenNation.com, did a fantastic job of just pretty much uh, putting up and displaying the disparage critics uh, between Carson Wentz uh, here locally, because I think we all pretty much are fighting for the same things, and maybe it's not... You know, recognition of like, well, you got to say, you got to say Carson Wentz is really good because I don't think that's exactly what we're looking for because we uh, we see the obvious problems. You know, it's still a it's still weird long ball to Alshon Jeffrey, which lands like five feet to the left of him, even though it was a busted play and it doesn't count or whatever. But yeah, I mean, there are some weird quirky things that he does, but there are a, a ton of strengths there. And um, I thought Brandon did a, an excellent job of just breaking down like, OK, here's uh, here's draft Twitter. Here's um, here's their takes versus here's a lot of guys that are scouting them in the league. And here's a lot of guys that went up against them. And you, you heard that from all the chiefs, like saying like, yeah, he's it's crazy. He's like a, a, a baby Big Ben mixed with Michael Vick in there. And it's hard to bring him down and et cetera, et cetera. So the guys that play up against him are uh, uh, respect them you know i i, I think uh, as you kind of go through this there's there's scouts there's formal general managers uh scott McLuhan from you know as we all know from washington who's got ousted on uh, by chris cooley thanks to him uh, says the same things right reminds me of of ben roethlisberger and uh justin houston and d ford and chris jones and pete carroll all there's all this like yeah he's just going to be a really great quarterback andy reed saying the same thing hey that's a really good football team you got there and i don't know if it's uh, there's a part of me that that also, and I'm sure you do too, where it's in the back of your mind, and you're going, "Ah, eh, shut up, yeah, shut up, don't tell me, <laughs> don't tell me that it's great." Like, I don't know, just just have him be great, and then we can celebrate that. And at the same time, you also want to throw it in some people's face. So there's that weird conflict that goes on in your head as well, because we watch. Obviously, I mean, it's not, and not to say that guys don't, you know, go in and you know, there's guys that dedicate their entire lives and careers to watching tape, and it's just it's it's weird to me to see the uh, the the differences there, and I feel like that most of I don't want to say the national perspective because there are a lot of national people that I've seen on TV say the same things that make you go yay and slightly uncomfortable at the same time. Like you know, Carson Wentz is going to be a star, and the Eagles are are going to take care of the NFC East. All those things are like okay, you're looking for recognition, but at the same time, we all we all feel the same things about the kiss of death and. You know, oh boy, here we go again. Or if somebody even remotely uh, smells or feels or says or dances like anything close to a dream team aspect, we go, oh boy, here we go again. Another the Eagles win the offseason. I I get all those feelings, but this is this is a different feeling. Like there's no middle, and I know a lot of times we can't find a middle with amongst our ourselves when we're talking about the Eagles or uh, when it's. Just about whatever, and I think a long t- like remember the days of Nick Foles versus Mark Sanchez and Nick Foles versus Sam Bradford, like that polarizing thing where we just you know recite the same things or Chip Kelly, where it just becomes talking points at at, at that point, and no one can have a real discussion. That's kind of feel like where where we're at with Carson Wentz. And, you know, PFF and, uh, you know, draft Twitter and, and, and things like that. 
I thought, and, and I hope you saw this too, if not, just go through Fran Duffy's timeline at Duffy 3 something like that. Fran Duffy, Philadelphia Eagles, if you're not following them already, I can't believe uh, you are wasting your life by not doing that. But go go search him out there. I thought the most impressive thing that he pointed out as far as like, oh, you guys wanted to see progress. Here's progress. And it was a dig concept from last season uh, that they ran this season with Alshon Jeffrey where you saw that I think it was Earl Thomas that was and they were in cover three obviously because that's what they run uh, the, the same type of route where you know uh, it, it, whoever whoever it was last year I'm sure it was a DGB and somebody that we don't care about anymore maybe it was Jordan Matthews where you had outside and slot act like their running goes and I believe DGB comes to left on a dig route and undercuts whoever was was running. In this particular case in Kansas City, it was Alshon Jeffrey on the outside, Torrey Smith in the middle. They act like they're both running go routes, and then all of a sudden Jeffrey turns it into a dig, and that that's basically kind of the, the clear-out concept that happens there. In Seattle, Carson Wentz sees that because it's a really tough read as a quarterback to, you know, to read that 15, 20 yards down the field of where – that safety or that corner is floating into depending on where they're at and it and it just so happened I think both of these guys both of the secondaries were playing in zone so you know I believe it's Earl Thomas correct me if I'm wrong on that guys but Earl Thomas ends up being into the coverage zone he doesn't see it it's an interception and everybody goes ugh right it's the same exact play the same exact play Alshon Jeffrey comes across the middle he sees Marcus Peters this time Going into that zone, recognizes it immediately, takes off and runs for four yards to try and avoid the sack. Like, that's the progress you need to see. So when a guy like Fahey just suddenly decides that, oh, you know what, he's just Blake Bortles, is asinine and it's bullshit. Because stuff like that, Blake Bortles doesn't do that. Blake Bortles hangs out in, in Florida and complains about Wi-Fi and throws freaking darts when there is no Wi-Fi. He doesn't work on his game or, or whatever. He doesn't care. Go back and watch that game against Tennessee. You, ask, you, you tell me if Blake Bortles looks anything like Carson Wentz. And go back to his second year and you tell me if he recognizes anything different that he did from his first. Because the problem with all quarterbacks in this league is... They don't absorb the information that is given to them. They don't adjust to when the league goes, okay, we have tape on this guy. Now, I'm not going to go jump down all the Cowboys fans' throats and be like, see, that's Dak Prescott with one without a running game, which is semi-kind of true so far when they went and played Denver. But it's also Denver. It's one of the toughest defenses in the league. But you also got a taste of, all right, what does Dak Prescott do against one of the best defenses? Carson Wentz kind of did the same thing. I don't know if you would say the Seattle has the same type of stomp, but they've been doing it for an awfully long time, haven't they? You know, I would, wouldn't you consider Kansas City to be a really tough defense? And I don't think that's was brought up at all this week. At all. You had, we even said it on the, I gave enough credit to Marcus Peters to probably call him one of the top corners, if not the top corner in the league that is up and coming. Bob Sutton, what we've talked about since Andy has been in Kansas City has been how tough their defense has been and how Andy Reid really rides on those. So let's just say that the Chiefs are one of the top defenses in the league. Is that fair enough to say? I don't know. I would probably say yes. 
Did Carson Wentz fare pretty goddamn well against one of the toughest defenses in the league away in a hostile environment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the second week into his second year? Yeah, are there going to be bad throws? Of course there's going to be bad throws. There's going to be bad throws against bad defenses because no one can be perfect in this league unless your name is fucking Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. That's it. Even Drew Brees makes mistakes. Ben Roethlisberger makes mistakes. Everybody has those errant throws. If the positives outweigh the negatives, it's usually a good day. Right? And being able to sit there and look at it and improve on it and move forward with it is even more important. Which Carson Wentz has in spades, as it's been described by literally everybody that's talked to him, met him, shook his hand, or had a small conversation with him. We all remember what happened in the draft room when he's on. He's got the whiteboard, that Eagles video that went around of what makes it a lock to draft a guy. That's what it is. A story from Jeffrey Lurie when he was first drafted where there's an owner's box at whatever concert they're going to and invited Chase Daniel, Sam Bradford to join him. And he turns it down because I, he says, I haven't earned that yet. Are you fucking kidding me? That's the type of guy that you want running your franchise for the next 10 years. And there's the disconnect because you just look at it on film. You have a take from whatever it was when you saw this kid and no one gives a shit about the process that happens inside the building. And I think that's one of the and we talked to Dan Hatman in the offseason about this. Most jobs are won in the NFL in the office. If they meet you. And you're great and you're smart like Carson Wentz is. It's on. It is on. So to to all of those that, sure, listen, there are going to be up and downs. And uh, Ben Natan <laughs> had the greatest idea ever. It's the Carson coaster, coaster because it's going to be times where you're like, oh, my God, that was the sweetest thing ever. And then the next thing you know, oh, Jesus, what is happening there? No, yeah. Yes, no, yes, constantly back and forth. But if someone dares to compare this kid to Blake Bortles or to whoever for a guy that freaking, you know, keeps constantly for Ryan Tannehill, for Sam Bradford, and, and you know coming from me, it takes a lot of balls for me to say because I still enjoy Sam's work no matter what uniform he's in, because I'll cape for a guy like that, but I'll also cape for a guy that is clearly better than him in Carson Wentz. And it's so hard to get people to, I guess, understand that. I don't know what it what exactly he needs to do. And maybe it's the expectations of a lot of National people that put those things and put those labels. Never have I seen since Peyton Manning. Best prospect I've seen since Andrew Luck. You know, what was the other dumb one? Um, uh, pre-snap like Peyton, post like uh, Aaron Rodgers. And you go, well, that's ridiculous, and that's what probably pissed a lot of people off. Like, oh, that's that's just silly. And there's ego in this too, and that's one hundred percent. Well, ninety-eight percent of this when you're trying to evaluate him, especially in his second year. And listen, I, I think it's important not to spike the football on anything. I'm not saying not have fun. You clearly know I'm having fun when Carson Wentz is doing amazing things. 
you know, and, and spiraling out and hitting Nelson Aguilar because it was like, oh, my God, I, I, you know, there's, there is, uh, there's too much going on here for me to not scream and shout about what's happening here. But I think it's important not to spike the football quite yet as much as you want to do that. And there might not be an opportunity to. You know, we, we still don't know exactly where Carson's going to be. And I think people put a ton of expectations on year two and the first two weeks and saying, well, why isn't Carson Wentz perfect yet? Why, isn't Car- why doesn't Carson Wentz look like uh, a, a, a five-year top 10, top five quarterback yet? Because it's just not there yet. That doesn't mean that there aren't improvements and there's a lot that uh, we don't see a lot of the time. That's, what, that's what's great about Fran. And that's why it's important, I think, for a lot of us, season, no matter what your fan level is, is to make sure that you understand what you're seeing a lot of the time and ask questions. And I'm going to ask questions because I don't know everything either. And, and if you feel like you have to just be this ultimate know-all football expert at all times just to defend a shitty take, then you're bad at this thing too. You know, I I, I just feel like th- that there's a lot of positive direction for Carson Wentz in the first two weeks. I don't think, if anything, this only enhanced my okay He's he's still there. I mean, the last even the supposed garbage touchdown to Nelson Aguilar and they get it back like, hey, you know, th- there's still a chance. I don't think there's anything he did um, outside of, uh, you know, you could I- I'll-, I'll say that it was completely his fault on the screen because that's really terrible. And that changed uh, the whole thing. And Vinnie Curry not getting Alex Smith changed that before that even happened. So. You know, there's a, there's a lot of back and forth there. You just got to chalk it up to like, man, Kansas City's a really good team, and hopefully one day the Eagles can be that smooth and and transition into that. Like, okay, every year we know that this is a playoff team. We know what that looks and we know what that feels like. It might not be there yet. Who knows? Who knows? You know, I still feel like this is a nine and seven football team, and I would be uh, not pleasantly surprised, but I'll be happy, and so will everybody else if they, you know, squeak out ten wins and and win this division. <laughs> That'd be great. And hey, the division doesn't look that great, so uh, I think there's there's massive uh, doors for criticism with Carson Wentz. I think he does, you know. The, the same stuff uh, uh, still with trying to extend that play to find the, the big play when he should be looking for the short one. I think Mar- Marcus Mariota is fantastic at getting to the next play. I think I look at Carson and I look at Jameis Winston as kind of the same thing. Jameis wants to make that big play too, and it gets him into trouble. I think that's the same problem with Carson Wentz right now. And look, those guys have had... Uh, and that's had some more seasoning and people will clearly say that they are better than Carson Wentz. I have said that before in the past and they still struggle with a lot of the same things that they were working on coming into their rookie years and, and, and so on and so forth because, you know, it's not like they're, they're perfect. And, and Brandon even pointed out in the article, now that I'm just remembering it, Tampa Bay did this, a lot of the same things that, the Eagles tried to do this year and did do this year. Give him weapons. Surround him with talent. They surrounded Jameis with nothing but talent. And it's paid dividends so far. Granted, it was against the Bears. But, yeah, I mean, there it is. Doug Martin gets healthy. That's a very powerful football team. And the moment that the Eagles get a Doug Martin or get a get a something like that, and, you know, unfortunately, it's probably not going to be this year, even though I know that there is a lot of suggestions to trade for LaShawn McCoy still, which I think is – Still silly and still too expensive. 
and would do nothing but slow down the next guy who is supposed to be a running back next year to get playing time. Uh, this is the Carson show. And it will continue to be the Carson show. And there will probably be uh, a lot more yelling about the passing attempts and how that correlates. And by the way, in Eagles wins, if we're going to do that, the average amount of passes thrown in wins are 34. So it's not like it's <laughs> you know that crazy. And that's including, oh, that was a loss, but the 60, yeah, the 60 passes in, in Cincinnati and whatever. Sure. I mean, like it just, I'm, I'm tired about hearing abandoning the run and et cetera, et cetera. This is a passing team. It's a passing league. The, the last year, even though uh, it was the most attempts in, in, in play calling and things like that, they were still the same as the Denver Broncos with Trevor Simeon. As far as that, Aaron Rodgers threw 62% of the time. You know, if you have a good quarterback, use him. Uh, and I understand protecting him, but I also understand not running into a brick wall just because you need to run into a brick wall. So, uh, a lot of great things coming up. Uh, we have um, a lot of different uh, remotes and things that are happening this week, which is really exciting. If you are in the Valley Forge area, James and I are going to be at the Valley Forge Casino on Friday from uh, 4 to 6 it's uh, the card show is going to be there. Matt McGloin is going to be there. How about that? Along with some other stars, I believe Bernie Perron and some others from all four sports will be there. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be there Friday. We'll also be there Saturday, one to three. We're going to stream live on the web. We're also streaming live on the web, but four to six uh, to excuse me on uh, Friday and then Saturday, one to three streaming and four to six. We'll be live on WIP from the Valley Forge Casino, which is going to be a lot of fun. Plus, this week also means we're going to be at the Jetro parking lot, baby, for the home opener. Finally, it's there uh, right towards the, the tail end of the Jetro lot where the you know the big awning is the last uh, portion of the awning leading right up to the stadium. That's where we're going to be. Uh, and I believe that we're going to we're going to start at 8 a.m with uh, BGN Radio Game Day. So we'll get that all, all situated out, and we'll lead you right up until kickoff. It's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully with the, <laughs> the equipment works because we're freaking out about uh, the Wi-Fi that's going to be there. So we're very excited. It's going to be a great week. Tune in for the preview show tomorrow. This has been BGN Radio Daily right here on BleedingGreenNation.com and BGNRadio.com. We'll see you guys.